You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. We're starting our new Advent preaching series, which uh, I'm calling to us, The Son is Given, four Sundays uh, starting today. And to prepare ourselves as we come to the Lord's table, we're going to look at, very briefly, at, at the way Matthew begins his account of Jesus' life, really begins the Christmas story. Um, and our text is Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. So if I may, could I ask you to open your Bibles or your bulletins, and if you're able to please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 1, 1 through 16. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Solomon. And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, excuse me, Jotham. And Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, we're definitely going to need some help with this text, so we better pray. Let's pray. Lord, um, help us make sense of Matthew's beginning here. Show us your truth jammed in this genealogy that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge of your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I know some of you were thinking, some of you are thinking, what was Ted thinking? (laughs) Merry Christmas. Uh, 
You know, we're going to start off Christmas in 2021 with a genealogy. I mean, after the last two years, really, that's how you're going to encourage me about Christmas. Right. I get a list of tedious names. How is that going to, uh, you know, deepen my appreciation and understanding of Christmas? Look, I get it. Okay. Um, I remember my in my first year of seminary, one of the assignments for every first year is you have to read the Bible from cover to cover, the English Bible. And one of the ways I did that, because I spent so much time in the car driving back and forth uh, from Orange County, was to listen to the Bible on CD. And I will admit to you, there were a couple of times where I... I came while I was driving by Braille, uh, right? I was falling asleep as I'm listening to the, uh, to the, the CDs of, uh, of, the, of the genealogies. I mean, it was deadly. So I get it. And I just stood up here and read it. And uh, so I, I know. But the fact of the matter is all of Scripture is inspired. And that includes the genealogies, and it's all profitable for us. Um, And in fact, in this, what might otherwise be a tedious list of names is actually a lot of, it's really a goldmine of of Christmas truth. And and we don't even have time to get into all of it. So I'm just, as as a way to kind of prepare our hearts to come to the table, I'm just going to point out four four of those Christmas truths from this genealogy as, as we come to the table. Okay, four truths. First, this genealogy communicates that Christmas is history, not fantasy. What if Matthew's account opened up not with a genealogy, but rather opened up like this? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, now, some of you nerds will know what I'm talking about. Right? That's, that's the famous uh, beginning, prologue of the Star Wars franchise. And, and what those words in our culture unmistakably communicate is that what follows is fiction, Right? I mean, there's no way you can hear those words and think, okay, now I'm getting, I'm getting a documentary on the space program. Now, this is what, what, what follows is fiction. It's the modern day version of, of the fairy tale beginning once upon a time, right? You, if, if, if you hear that, you know what's coming is, is fantasy. The, the fact that Jesus' story, it, as, as written by Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins with a family tree, tells you that this story is about real people in real time. And and it's also, maybe even more importantly, an invitation to check check its accuracy. This is how the Gospels were written. You know, when, when, when names and facts that could be verified were available, the, the gospel writers put them in so that their readers could investigate and could, could ascertain the, the veracity of what the gospel writer was writing. And so this invitation uh, has been accepted over the centuries, right, by, by scholars and archaeologists, uh, and they continue to investigate this genealogy. I was reading uh, recently a, an article in the... Uh, 
sort of the, the leading academic journal uh, in, in this field called Biblical Archaeology Review. And, and the article stated that, um, at the time it, it was published, that uh, Biblical Archaeology had confirmed uh, the, um, the names of 53 biblical characters, many of whom are in Matthew's genealogy. They confirmed that they, they, they existed, really existed, really had that name, and, and, and lived at the time that the Bible says they lived. 53. And w- w- the, the pace of that confirmation is now accelerating. Right? It's, it's really ramping up. And, and the article mentioned that one of the reasons it's ramping up is, is because of technology changes. And one of the one of the technology changes is, is the way they're doing archaeology now. Uh, one of the things they're doing in the Holy Land is what they call wet sifting. sifting, And, which, and it's, they're basically doing archaeology on, on old piles of, of dirt that were dug up from prior uh, archaeological digs. And they are hydraulically sifting through those piles and finding a treasure trove of things that were missed, um, mostly small things, uh, almost exclusively uh, pottery or clay, which was why the one reason why they're missed because it just kind of blended in with the dirt. Uh, and what they're finding are a lot of signet rings and seals, which are a treasure trove for for it, discovering names. Uh, that you know, pe- people would stamp their names uh, down. So uh, they're finding more and more of these with each passing year, and with each passing year, there's greater confirmation that what Matthew is talking about here is history, not fantasy. That's the first first Christmas truth we learn here. Second, this genealogy communicates that Christmas is an announcement, not a lecture. You know, most of your friends who aren't Christians would probably say if you asked them, um, and if you're not a Christian here, check me and see if this, if this is true, if, if, I'm, if I'm guessing right. They, they would probably say that, uh, you know, you'd ask them who Jesus is, and they would say some version of, well, he was a great moral teacher. And you say, well, what is it to be a Christian? And they would say something like, well, it would be in, that would involve learning Jesus' teaching and following Jesus' teaching. That is a common understanding, or more accurately, a common misunderstanding uh, of Christianity and what it is to be a Christian. Of course, Jesus taught. And of course, his teaching is indispensably important. But the, the fact is, Christmas is... is fundamentally a birth announcement and and christmas is part of the gospel and and what the new testament calls the gospel which by when we say gospel we mean the essential core message the essential core message of christianity is not the sermon on the mount it's not, it's not the fabulous teaching of Jesus. It's the announcement that God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world to save sinful people like me and you. 
And Jesus did that by living a holy life for you and me because you and I don't live that holy life. We can't live that holy life. We don't have the ability to live that holy life. Uh, and, and then he did it by dying a divine justice satisfying death, uh, satisfying God's justice for our sin. And then he did it by being raised from the dead. Right as a as a verification, as a stamp of approval, as a demonstration that Jesus really did accomplish what he came to do. He really did beat sin and death. And therefore, your destiny, if you're trusting in Jesus, is 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 the eternal abundant life that Jesus earned for you. Not that you earned by your obedience to his teaching. We don't earn anything. Everything we receive from God, we receive, we receive as a gift from God. It comes to us from His grace. So you see, Christianity is not a lecture. If you came, if you came expecting a lecture from me to tell you how to live in light of, you know, the Christmas example, I'm actually not sorry to disappoint you. Because uh, Christmas is not a lecture about what you have to do. It's an announcement about what God has done for you in Jesus. Right? Third, this genealogy communicates that, that Christmas is a brand new start for you and a brand new start for the world. We all know that John, the Apostle John, when he started his gospel, although he didn't, he didn't get into a lot of the detail about the birth of Jesus, uh, he did, at the very beginning of his gospel account, hearken back to Genesis, right? Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. That, that repetition of those those words in the beginning was a, was an obvious signal that, that that John is connecting Jesus' story uh, back to Genesis, back to the very creation again. Um, Matthew does the same thing. He actually does it more comprehensively than John does, uh, but you you might miss it. The the um, when you go to Genesis. First book of the Bible, the Old Testament, right? There, there are 11 times you see a repeating phrase. And, it, it, and, and it, it, the phrase is, this is the genealogy of X, right? Might be uh, Isaac, might be Esau, might be Ishmael, might be Shem, right? It's, 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 um, it's this is the genealogy of those those people and and it's and it's it's one of the ways that the book is organized you know you're coming to a new section of genesis when you come to that phrase well that phrase as i said is repeated 11 times and it's exactly the same every time except one and and and, and in one time it, that phrase is used it's changed slightly um, and scholars debate why. It's, it, there doesn't seem to be any material difference. It's just different. Um, and interestingly, it's, it's in the phrase that, that refers to Adam. It's in Genesis 5.1. And in Genesis 5.1, instead of saying, this is the genealogy of Adam, it says, the book of the genealogy of Adam. 
there's this mention of a, a book, the book of the genealogy of Adam. It's the only time the phrase is tweaked a little bit when it refers to Adam. Now, look at Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. How, does, how does Matthew open up uh, his, his account of Jesus? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew picks up with his Greek the exact Hebrew phrasing of the one sort of exceptional time that phrase is used uh, in, uh, in Genesis. Um, you go, so what? Well, I think that's communicating two things. First, it's communicating exactly what John is com- was communicating. That, look, this, when, when you come to Jesus, you're not coming to the beginning of the story. You're kind of entering into the middle of the story. That, you know, I think there's a, a lot of people that think, even Christians can think that, you know, there's kind of a hard stop after the Old Testament. And, and everything's sort of different and new in the New Testament, right? Even God is different in the New Testament. It's not right. Uh, it's one continuous story. And both John and Matthew are certainly communicating that. that w- they want you to make sure you s- understand that as you're learning about Christmas, that this, is j- this is gr- grows out of what started in Genesis, okay? But more importantly with Adam, I mean, with Matthew, what, what, what Matthew wants you to see is, is not that just that Jesus' story is connected to Genesis, but it's connected to Adam. That Matthew is, is in effect saying, there's a new Adam in town, right? That Jesus is the new, the second, the final Adam. Right? Think about the first Adam, right? Through, through, through that you know, primordial rebellion against God, Adam, right, the, the, the first human, and Eve, first humans, by, by rebelling against God, plunged the human race into alienation from God. And, and as a result of being alienated from God, all kinds of negative consequences started spinning out, right? Uh, fear, shame, guilt, uh, sin, of course, frustration, futility, uh, and ultimately, death, right? The, the wages of sin is death. We tend to think of, of sin as natural. It, it's only natural because we've lived in a world that has been alienated from God for so long that it seems natural. It wasn't natural to what God created. Death came in as a result of human rebellion. Um, But the good news of Christmas is that God has sent a new Adam. Uh, a, A new Adam to succeed where the first Adam failed. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Adam didn't obey, Jesus obeyed. And then Jesus laid down his life for Adam's sin, for your sin, for, 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 for my sin. He came, Jesus came to unwind the effects of the fall, sin and death. And he, he did that, his death forgiving sin, uh, his resurrection, you know, defeat, you know, overcoming the wages of sin, death. Um, 
a process was started, you know, at Christmas. Um, when Jesus came, and, you know, he didn't stay the baby, right? He grew up and then and, and lived that holy life on our account and then died to, for our, the forgiveness of our sins, was raised to new life, uh, at, what, stayed around for 40 days and taught the disciples and then was ascended into heaven. But it, it doesn't even stop there, right? In Revelation, Jesus says, I am making all things new. It's, this is, right? He's, he's inaugurated this process at Christmas where Jesus is even now making all things new. So when you get tired, frustrated, angry, discouraged uh, about what's going on in our state, what's going on in our country, what's going on in our schools, going on in your family, what's going on in your head, your heart. Um, this promise of Jesus, this new Adam, to make that he is in, in fact in the process of making all things new, is a, is, is a lifeline. I mean, how do, how do we get through these crazy discouraging times we remember uh, the Christmas truth that that a new Adam has come he's at work he's bringing to completion everything he started not just on planet earth but in you in your life and there's going to be a second advent Jesus will appear a second time and when he does uh, he will he will definitively and forever set all things right so the Christmas message is in part, right? Hang on. Hang on. Right? The new Adam is working. He's succeeded where the old Adam failed. So keep hanging on to him. Keep trusting in him. Um, it's going to happen. All things will be made new. All right. Fourth, finally. This genealogy communicates that God by grace, reverses the values of the world. And, and this is good news. Um, you know, I don't always study genealogies, but when I do, I study Matthews. Um, no, it's, I, as I was reflecting on it, I realized I was reflecting on Matthews and thinking about Matthews' genealogy as I think about sort of any family tree, you know, any sort of genealogy uh, that I would put together. And, and I said, wait a minute, this, this, this is qualitatively different. This, I, I don't think we can begin to understand the, how radical Christmas is in, until you remember that this is the only genealogy in history that was planned and put together by the last person on the family tree. Understand what I'm saying, right? It's, it's like when, when you do a family tree, you'll work backwards, right? You, 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 you do all the detective work to figure out who your ancestors were and, and you know, who they married and what kids they had and how the, their decisions impacted your family's life. That's not what Jesus did, right? Jesus looked forward. He didn't look back. 
Jesus looked forward. He planned and put his family tree together before he was born. That's a mind warp, isn't it? But that's who we're dealing with. So, you know, he didn't come from some random line of people that Matthew had to research on Ancestry.com. Right? It, this, this line was divinely planned. These are Jesus' chosen people. That makes a huge difference to, you, to when you read it that way. Right? Jesus, it, you know, it, it wasn't some discovered, oh, we can draw some great lessons from this sort of accidental discovery of things that, you know, this sort of Jesus' random relatives. There's no such thing as a random relative. This, this, this whole family tree was planned by Jesus, chosen by Jesus. And, 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 and what, why that's important is that you look at that list and you go, wow, that's a list that almost nobody would make up. Right? It's certainly not the list the world would make up. It's, it's definitely not the list you'd make up if you were you know, inventing the genealogy of the hero of this new religion you're inventing. And you want, you want to give him credibility. You'd never give him this genealogy. Right? It's, it is a remarkable collection of people. Now, of course, there are some famous people in the line. There are some powerful people. There are wealthy people. There are people of influence. Those, a few of those might have made it you know, through the world's uh, grid and gotten into Jesus' line. But there are also plenty of anonymous people in this line. I mean, people that as far as we know at this point made no discernible mark on history. In fact, the only way we know of them is that they're listed in this genealogy. Now, I suspect biblical archaeology is going to change that someday, but right now there are people that we, you know, who is this person? Well, we don't know. He's just in Matthew's genealogy. There are poor people in this line. Uh, there are regular blue-collar folks in this line. There are uh, people who were outstanding at their jobs, and there are people who were incredibly inept at their jobs. Um, there are educated people, and there are illiterate and uneducated people in this line. There are genuinely religious, faithful people in this line, and there are some out-and-out pagans and hypocrites. There are some moral people in this line, and there are people whose lives are marked by breathtaking immorality and evil. Right? And this is who Jesus chose. Of particular note... Uh, and if you've heard any sermons, uh, you know, Christmas sermons over the years, you've, and, and anybody was brave enough to tackle the, the, <laughs> the genealogies, you, you've heard that one of the remarkable facts about this genealogy is that there are women in it, five of them. Um, and that's remarkable because in, in that culture at that time, patriarchal ancient Near East, women were almost never included in genealogies. Um, women were, uh, you know, essentially considered as property um, and, and weren't given the dignity to be put into genealogies. Genealogies typically went from father to son. 
Um, and yet here, yet here, there, here, here there are five women, which, which by it, you know, historically makes this genealogy stand out. Any historian, religious or otherwise, would look at this genealogy and say, that's interesting, that's different. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting that Jesus didn't just put women into the line, um, given the, 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 the small esteem that they had in their culture. But he, he put women who, who were, you know, on their own terms, rather disreputable. Right, um, Tamar, verse three, you know, became pregnant with the twins mentioned there uh, by incest. Rahab, verse five, was a prostitute plying her trade in the Canaanite city of Jericho. Uh, Ruth, uh, verse five, you know we are we always you know lift up Ruth and rightly so. But the astounding thing about Ruth, she was a Moabitess. She was from the people group of Moab, a, a, a people group that had its origins in incest. Uh, uh, but even more importantly, was a people group that was under a specific edict from God not to participate in, 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 in Jewish life for 10 generations. And, and actually, when Ruth was alive and playing her role that's now recorded in the Bible, that was during that 10-generation ban. It's fascinating. Um, and then, of course, in verse 6, you have um, Bathsheba. Name's not mentioned. Matthew doesn't uh, mention her name. He calls her uh, simply the wife of Uriah probably to highlight the depth of David's sin uh, and her sin. Um, She was married to Uriah, who was a Hittite. And some uh, scholars think, have have speculated that because she was married to a Hittite, she she may have been a Hittite. That that may be true. We don't don't know. Um, We do know that even though... Uriah was a Hittite. He was a soldier in David's army and not just any soldier. He was one of David's uh, select fighting force. He was a friend of David. Uh, And David, uh, you know, seduces his wife and and, and Bathsheba cheats on her husband, Uriah. Um, And then David hatches and participates in this conspiracy to, to off Uriah uh, so that he could marry his wife. You know, it's, it is ugly, ugly stuff. Right? The fifth woman, of course, is Mary, um, the one who is of um, fine character here. Uh, she's, uh, you know, the godly virgin uh, chosen to be the the mother of Jesus, uh, who conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit, um, and but you know her account was was not believed by many people, and and we know from the gospel accounts to how Jesus was treated. This 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 charge 
this label that Jesus was illegitimate, followed Jesus his whole life. Uh, and if, it, if that charge that Jesus was an illegitimate child followed him, it almost certainly followed Mary. Uh, so even though she was of impeccable character, she had uh, the, you know, the reputation of not being so. And of course, that was one of the costs of her obedience, uh, which she, she would have known when she, when she responded to Gabriel, may it, be to, may it be to me as you have said. She knew what she was getting into. Well, what's the point here? Uh, what's, what's the point of this uneven, unpredictable, super messed up, yet chosen line of people? Well, there may be many points, but one point at least that I, is to communicate to you that a relationship with God is possible for anybody. Okay? Because it's based on one thing only, and that's grace. God's grace. We, we are not here because we've been so good. We are not here because we've been so holy. We're not here because we've been so faithful. We're not here because we've given so much to the church. No one earns a place with God. The Lord has put each one of us in, 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 in that place of relationship with him by grace, his unearned, undeserved love and favor. As I was reflecting on this, um, I watched a show just last night. Uh, a number of you have been asking me if I've watched The Chosen yet. If you don't know about The Chosen, Chosen is a, is a series uh, about the life of Jesus and uh, you know, um, and I had not seen it, but uh, I'd, got, I'd gotten so many questions and people commenting about it that I, that I wanted to do it. So Linda and I have watched the first series, uh, yeah, series one. And uh, last night we watched uh, the episode where um, Jesus encounters the woman at the well. Jesus engineers the encounter uh, with the Samaritan woman at the well. And, um, you know, that is a moving story uh, anyway. And it was very moving, for me anyway, in the, in the show, uh, which, which pretty faithfully followed the, uh, the account. Um, you know, there she is, this, this woman who, you know, beaten down and, 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 and used and uh, hardened and cynical and sad and ashamed, you know, going to going to the to the well when nobody else was there uh, because she was shunned, uh, and and you know, sort of surprised that that um, that Jesus would talk to her because of who she was, but mostly because he was a Jew and a man. Um, no, no, no Jewish man would talk to her. Um, and yet Jesus did. And he has that remarkable exchange with her about living water. And, and, uh, and he goes, you know, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking him for water. And, um, uh, you know, and in the course of that conversation, right, Jesus lets her know that he knows who she is, Right. 
she, she, she's asked questions, and he, and he goes, well, sure, I'll, you know, I'll answer, go get your husband. She goes, I have no husband. She says, he's your right. Uh, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with right now isn't your husband. And uh, so, she, you know, ah, see, so you're a prophet. Um, and anyway, it, what you see happening is that oh, what, what she's realizing is this man knows her. Right? But he's still talking to her, looking right into her soul, right? And then, and then he says he's the Messiah, the one you're waiting for, the one you're looking for. I am he. And, and, and just then, the, you know, the disciples, you know, trudge up. They're great. You know, they've been concerned about food. They, they went to get takeout in Sychar and uh, they're coming back with the food and uh, and this gal just drops her water jars which is consistent with the biblical account and runs for the village and runs right past the disciples and, and says he told me everything I did he told me everything I did and then she went into the city and, she, and, and her testimony was he told me everything I did could this be the Christ? And that had always confused me, right? I'm going, well, you know, it's kind of... So Jesus had this ability to know, know what she had done. And that was what blew her away. That's not what blew her away. I mean, she, she, she was speaking really in shorthand. What she meant was, he told me everything I did. And he still loves me. He still talks to me. He still accepts me. He's, you know, it's, it's just so moving. <laughs> um, that's what Christmas is about. That's what this table is about. Right? So we need to stop oscillating. Christian friends, between pride in performance and despair at our non-performance and our failures. To paraphrase the late Jerry Bridges, um, your best days, your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Hear that? All of you are proud of your quiet times this month. Your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. And your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. That's the lesson of the woman at the well. That's, that is, um, that's the upshot of Christmas. Um, uh, that's what we learn from this line. There's a lot of people here that you would think were beyond the reach of God's grace, but they're not. Um, so, as you come to the table now, remember that you come by grace alone. Just lean into those everlasting arms of grace and fall into them, okay? Those arms will not let you fall. You come as a forgiven sinner. Forgiven by the death of Jesus, credited with the righteousness that he earned for you in his life. So come, Christian, to this table 
with confidence, not self-confidence, Jesus' confidence. Confessing and repenting of your sins and knowing that because of Jesus, you are forgiven and accepted. You are like the woman at the well, fully known and still fully loved. That's worth celebrating, right? Celebrate that grace as you eat the bread and drink the wine today. It's the best Christmas present ever. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to come to this table now. Thank you for um, what you teach us even from these dusty genealogies. Um, Thank you that you look into our souls. You know us, Lord, even better than we know ourselves. And and we know ourselves well enough to not let many people into our deepest, darkest secrets, and yet you know them. And yet you still went to the cross for us. You still love us. You still hold on to us, and you will not let us go. May we live out of that gospel reality, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.